Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. This week, Greta's talking to Nora Jemison, also known as N.K. Jemison. Nora is the award-winning author of speculative fiction novels and stories. Her most recent novel is The Obelisk Gate, which is the second book in the Broken Earth trilogy. The first book in the series is called The Fifth Season, and that actually won the Hugo Award, which is a prestigious literary science fiction award. Nora became the first black person to win that award, and I talked with her about the book, but also the unusual circumstances surrounding the Hugos. And we're going to play a game. A game? Yes, there is a theory about science fiction books that we're actually going to bring our executive producer, Joel Meyer, in to explain this theory because this was his. And it's a pretty good idea, but it's it's all, it, yeah. It's a theory of one. <laughs> no one else believes this theory. But here's the theory, <laughs> that titles of science fiction novels are almost always interchangeable with the names of bands, especially metal bands. Basically, science fiction novels and bands are 100% compatible. (laughs) All right, give us an example. Here's a familiar one. Ray Bradbury's classic, Fahrenheit 451. Everyone knows that book, right? But you can also imagine Fahrenheit 451 being the name of a band. And in fact, if you Google it, you will get, I think, a New York City hardcore band and maybe a German band, but the site is in German, so I don't know anything more about that band. But I think that, you know, Fahrenheit 451, Temperatures make good band names. Exactly. The the second concert I went to was 98 Degrees. That's another good, fun sci-fi title, right? (laughs) <laughs> yes, that is another time, but it just does not help prove my theory. Right, right. Okay, sorry. You have you have more examples. Let's go a little deeper. Uh, a Fire in the Sun, nominated for uh, a Hugo Award in 1990, but High on Fire is a heavy metal band from Oakland. <laughs> but would be a good book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, little quiz. Neptune's Brood. Book or band? <laughs> oh, Think about it. Book? Book. Okay, another one. Ready? Knights of the Abyss. (laughs) Again, think about it. That sounds like a book. In fact, American deathcore band from Arizona. (laughs) I guess the theory stands. This is pretty interchangeable, the band name and the book name. So if you're listening and thinking, I know of death metal band names that sound a lot like sci-fi books or the other way around, tweet at us, Podcast. Okay, so N.K. Jemison is going to play that quiz with us in a little bit. But first, here's her conversation with Greta. Nora, welcome to Nerdette. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for creating such wonderful worlds. It's been such a pleasure to spend time in the work that you're making. It's just really, really good. It's so weird to hear people say that when it's, you know, about the end of the world and the apocalypse. <laughs> but um, thank you. So, Nora, your website says that you write speculative fiction. And mm-hmm. I wonder for people who aren't familiar with the difference between that and science fiction, can you kind of explain that? Well, there's a lot of different definitions of that word. I use it as a catch-all for science fiction, fantasy, horror, interstitial, and, you know, the occasional comic book. 
A lot of people use speculative fiction to specifically delineate that branch of the literary field Mm -hmm. that's willing to toss in some unreal or secondary worldish elements in order to sort of test characters in, in interesting ways and that kind of thing. It's not really science fiction. It's literary stuff that goes what if, i.e. speculates. But I use it as a catch-all for that, too. So, yeah. So what you're saying essentially is it's not necessarily aliens, but more along the lines of like things that could potentially theoretically happen in a world like ours, really. Well, I'm not saying it's aliens, but... Well, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Yes. Yes, and. In my case, it just simply means that I write... I'm not just a fantasy writer. You see it more often in my short stories, but I write some science fiction. Um, with other other people, it can mean different things, too. It's it's a term that everyone sort of adapts in their own particular way. So, Nora, I was hoping you could help me with something. I feel like, especially recently, a couple of times, friends have asked me for recommendations of things to read or watch. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll watch, I'll, I'll check out anything. I'll try anything except sci-fi. <laughs> and it just drives me crazy mm. because, I mean, to me, that's like, oh, yeah, I like everything except imagination. You know, like, I don't like <laughs> stories, but I'll do other stuff. Right. And I was wondering if you could kind of help me make the sell to people who, you know, like to the haters, mm. you know, like people who are just like, oh, no, sci-fi, that's not for me because that's ridiculous. Yes, it is ridiculous. And it's simply because science fiction is terrible at marketing, I think. Hmm. Science fiction has for years allowed, you know, a fairly vocal subset of its readership to declare that the only true science fiction is stuff that was written like 50, 60 years ago, that, you know, the the pulps of the 40s is really what the genre is all about. And, you know, the plain fact of the matter is that it's a genre like any other. It's an art form like any other. It has evolved. It has grown. And it has expanded in ways that I think it's not done the best job of revealing to the mainstream. So, you know, I would just sort of test anybody who says uh, they don't read science fiction and fantasy, you know, and test them on, okay, what was the last science fiction fantasy that you read? Um, you know, where, where is this coming from? You know, did you just watch an episode of, you know, old school Star Trek and call it a day? Or, or are we doing this with some real information here? And then, you know, there's um, multiple places that I would direct them. I would Take them to, for example, like the Nebula list and uh, have them look at a few years worth of Nebula nominees and novels. Um, I would show them some current science fiction uh, on television, quite a bit of which is getting, you know, good critical acclaim. I'm very excited that Stranger Things uh, season two is coming. Yes. I just watched uh, the, the first season of Westworld, mm-hmm. had some questions and thoughts, but... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, that's sad. But, I mean, it's an example of something that you can show to people to say, hey, you know, we've moved on a little bit from Star Trek. Take a look at this. And even in the case of something like Stranger Things, which is I'm sort of recursively um, looking at the science fiction of the 80s, you will see uh, some really fascinating ways in which it's interrogating and in some cases just replicating, but playing with the idea of what science fiction uh, has evolved from and is becoming. Because in the 80s, you didn't usually see a a girl as the focus of a story about boys. Or if you did, she was the prize to be won. She was not the protagonist and the person kind of doing the most awesome things in, in it. Yeah, the most powerful one, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, you see books like... 
you know, the Star Trek and race relations or like Battlestar Galactica and philosophy. And I think about, (laughs) you know, how much of a conversation we end up having around these things. Mm. And you take Battlestar Galactica, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is essentially the American experiment in space, right? Mm -hmm. And once you remove so many of those terms that we're used to talking about and describing from the equation, once you're just looking at human beings interacting with each other, the symbolism of that can be so much more powerful than a book about creating a new nation state after a bunch of people were destroyed, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. I'd say probably Battlestar Galactica is a great example of the American experiment in space. Um, You know, when you looked at the original Battlestar Galactica, which I looked up the other day and I was a whopping six when it first started coming (laughs) on, you know, it was basically just like, oh, let's see how we can cash in on Star Wars. Um, You know, and it was straightforward colonialism. And it was colonialism from both sides. Um, You saw the people of the 12 colonies get, uh, sorry, 13 colonies get driven away. And you, you saw a little bit of the immigrant struggle and the struggle of being on the the losing side of a colonialism uh, struggle. And then you saw them, you know, eventually get to Earth, spoiler alert, they get to Earth. Wow, you're going there. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. Yeah, it's been long enough. I think so. <laughs> it might be. Um, but, you know, spoiler alert, they get to Earth and then Galactica 1985 was everything wrong with um, <laughs> with what that story became. But, you know, they tried to then colonize and they tried to do it in sensitive ways and it just didn't work. But then you see the, the Ronald Moore adaptation. And first of all, they gender bend and race bend several of the characters. You know, they try to at least make the, the background characters more representative of the science fiction readership and the television audience. Um, they do a much better job of it in that sense than the 1970-something series did, although they did some things that I didn't necessarily like and some things that I did. They, you know, start taking the question of oppression and exploring it much more fully and exploring it in complexity, mm-hmm. uh, in ways of that sort of examine it from multiple sides and, and positives and negatives. And, you know, so it's beginning to wrestle with the same issue that we're struggling with in our society, you know, still um, wrestling with the complexity of it and the ways that we're dealing with it in the modern day and, and the political scene. So, yeah, it's a great example, I think. I think, too, what makes it so remarkable and what I love about your books as well is that there's the actual consumption of the thing, which is satisfying in and of itself, but then the conversation that arises around that and the interaction with other people who are also engaging with the same material is just, I don't know, I find it so much more rewarding than like, oh yeah, wasn't that book fun? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm not doing anything that science fiction and fantasy haven't done in their own ways for decades. You know, it's simply that because I'm coming from a different perspective and because I guess maybe because of that perspective or just, you know, my personality, um, different things interest me. I am engaging with politics that are not as easily camouflaged, I guess, by the mainstream. You know, when you've got a story, you've got, you know, a slew of stories that are set in a version of medieval England that is sort of curiously devoid of people of color and um, really poor people and queer people and women where you've got this this strange secondary world where it's basically a bunch of white guys running around 
poking things at each other and, and mm-hmm. get, having empowerment fantasies, it, that's that's political. <laughs> and that's that's communicating a political message. Um, it's just communicating a political message that is uh, fairly commonly seen in our society in which we don't really necessarily think is, is weird um, or we don't think of as wrong or we don't think of as unusual. It's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, the catch is that some of the rest of us like to get out there and have our empowerment fantasies too, and we want to poke stuff with sticks. <laughs> this is really the thing, is when you change something as simple as who it is that gets to poke a stick at things, you know, people get their backs up. I don't know why, but they do. I love that that in and of itself is subversive. It's a beautiful thing. It shouldn't be. <laughs> and should our society ever become a place where everybody gets to poke a stick at stuff, um, then it will stop being so subversive. Mm-hmm. You know, then if enough people and enough enough of a breadth of people get to explore the speculative what-ifs, then you know, the stuff that I do will stop being novel, or at least in the in the sense of identity. I, I still hope that the stories uh, stand the test of time. But I guess we'll see. After the break, Nora tells us how to build fantastical worlds. You're listening to Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So, Nora, science fiction operates often on pretty stringent rules, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. even in fantasy novels with Harry Potter, you have muggles and wizards or, you know, Mm -hmm. things with time travel. I wonder when you're creating your own worlds, do you start writing the story first or do you focus on the rules and the structures first? I don't start with structures. I start with the world building. That tends to be my go-to. And that's mostly because... The novels that I tend to write usually grow out of some weird thing like a bizarre dream that I have to explain. Um, One of my short stories came because I was walking under the Franklin Avenue shuttle one day and I was just sort of like, what if the shuttle fell? This is what my mind is like. And I was like, oh, that would be terrible. But what would cause it to fall? And, you know, and from there I I spun out a short story called uh, Non-Zero Probabilities, which was about, you know, set in New York is one of the few things that I've done set in the real world, but where the laws of probability have gone haywire and events of extreme unlikelihood uh, happen much more frequently. So the Franklin Avenue shuttle falls off of its track, and it's a terrible tragedy, but, you know, people in New York are learning to adapt to it. They don't walk under ladders. You know, they pay lots of money for four-leaf clovers when they can find them, that kind of thing. So, But the rules tend to grow out of the world because when I'm trying to understand how people react to 
I don't know what to call the speculative thing. I've I've often, you know, in workshops and so forth, called it uh, the whopper. Um, the thing that makes this world unique or the things that make this world unique tend to write their own rules when you sit down and really think about how people tend to behave under known circumstances. Mm-hmm. So... I spend a lot of time, you know, just kind of building the world first, and then I think about how do people react to that world and what kinds of societies would grow around something as simple as the ocean contained an undertow that was alive and would eat you. Um, I did a workshop for an MFA program not too long ago last month um, where I ran a world-building workshop. And as part of that workshop, we come up with a whopper, a a what-if Um, Several what-ifs that dictate how the world is built and how the people react to that world. And one of the people in the workshop suggested, what if the Gulf Stream is alive and doesn't like you? (laughs) And so, you know, if you start seeing a bunch of stories about, you know, living pissed off Gulf Streams, you know where that came from. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, what does a society do in reaction to something like that? That's what dictates the rules. You won the Hugo Prize in 2016 for Best Novel. Mm -hmm. And later on in the show, we're actually going to quiz you a little bit about (laughs) the Hugos. But first, no, it's going to be fun. I promise it'll be fun. Um, But I want to ask you what it was like to win the Hugo Award. I mean, you were the first black person to win this prize. It's, you know, pretty well-known literary science fiction prize. You got the little badge on the book now. (laughs) What did it feel like to win? Uh, It felt like a complete surprise. It was not my first time being nominated for the Hugo. Um, In fact, I think it was my fourth. And uh, I hadn't even gone to the ceremony, partly because I had a book due, but (laughs) also because I I had been through that before. I'd gone to the Hugos a couple of times, and it's a fairly expensive prospect. Um, You go to a convention. You know, you travel there, you need to wear a schmancy dress for the ceremony, you know. And so and then you sit there for hours waiting to hear whether you won and then you didn't win. And in a lot of cases, other people who are awesome do win, which is great. It's just that it's still an an expensive and time-consuming thing. And I had a book due. Um, So I was sitting in a bar. I had taken a break from writing to uh, go and have some pie and a cocktail with a friend. And um, there's a very nice bar for pie and cocktails. (laughs) That sounds um, amazing. Because Brooklyn... (laughs) Um, And uh, my phone started blowing up and I wasn't even really paying attention to the ceremony. And then I I checked and was like, what? So it was a lot of fun. Uh, It was a shock, largely because there had been uh, some reactionary political stuff going on in the science fiction and fantasy world for a while that I had thought – would prevent me from ever getting a Hugo. And frankly, I I had gotten so sick of the whole thing that I was just like, you know, I don't care anymore. And um, then to my great surprise, um, there we go. That's when I, of course, that's when I win, when I stop caring about it. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) But that's how it happened. So you mentioned there was kind of a controversy around the Hugo Award. For people who don't know about what happened, can you explain that a little? I will try to summarize. Um, In essence, in the science fiction world, there was a group which decided that it was going to try and take over the Hugos. And so they gamed the system to the degree that they could. Um, They called in outsiders for help. And they were able to, uh, for several years running, um, get their chosen picks onto the ballot. 
they espoused the idea that science fiction should be what it was 50 years ago. Um, you know, if you want to call it make science fiction great again. But it was the idea of some idyllic time when science fiction had no politics in it. It was full of politics. They just – they didn't – it wasn't it wasn't different politics. Right. It was politics they were okay with. Right. Um, when science fiction had no politics in it, it was nothing but spaceships and ray guns and swashbuckling. You know, and yeah, largely straight white people uh, getting the awards and the recognition. They had decided that there was a conspiracy of, I don't know, people who weren't Mm -hmm. um, straight white guys to take over the awards. And so they decided they were going to project, basically, and uh, create a, a conspiracy to counter that imagined conspiracy. And so because they had managed to get their stuff onto the ballot again that year, you know, with some notable exceptions like me, um, they don't like me much. But, um, you know, I had just sort of assumed that, you know, something else was going to win. I didn't think that I was going to win. You know, and I didn't actually care anymore, like I said, because right. they had sort of succeeded in making me think that, you know, they were going to make this enough of a, a stink that, you know, I had a book to write. I had stuff to do. I was just going to continue writing my best and let them claim whatever little puns that they felt like they needed to claim. And so it was not only a shock when I won, it was also sort of a reminder and a revelation of uh, the fact that there are still a lot more people in the genre who like the way that science fiction has grown and evolved in the last 50 years. They don't want to go back to 1940, 1950. And, you know, I'd sort of forgotten the fact that there's more of us than there are of them and that that means something. <laughs> um, so... So I hope that that summarizes it. So, yeah, I mean, coming back to this win, here you are. You said you had stopped caring, which I think is a really good point of Zen for a lot mm. of us to kind of get to. But then again, I wonder how much do you think this changed your even your own perception of your career and the work you're doing? You know, like, do, do you think mm. it reframed for you why you're doing what you're doing and the importance of being heard? Uh, no, I, I, I do what I do because I enjoy doing it. I've never done it for the awards and for the recognition. It's nice that I get awards and recognition, <laughs> not going to lie. Um, and it's nice that people are paying me money. Hey, but I wrote since childhood and really for the first 10, 20 years of my writing life, I never expected to be published and never expected anyone else to read my work. Hmm. I wrote for myself. Um, I've been writing literally since the age of like eight or nine. And I just did it for fun as a hobby. It was stress relief. And then around the age of 30, I decided that, oh, all right, I guess I can try and see if I can make some money off of this or, you know, try and see if other people want to read this. And to my shock, they did. <laughs> um, and it's a good shock. But at the end of the day, I cannot write for other people. I cannot focus on what other people think or I'll never be able to find joy in the stuff that I do. On the other hand, I'm also mindful of the fact that because people are reading it, because a lot of people are are seeing in my work something that, you know, maybe they haven't been able to see very much, and maybe they really need to see it. Lord knows I did when I was growing up. I'm writing the stories that I, I want to read. I'm writing the stories I always wanted to read. And I'm mindful of the fact that by getting the Hugo, by getting this kind of recognition, a lot more people are now seeing those stories and realizing that, you know, science fiction is more than it was in the 1940s and 50s. If it takes my book to help bring them uh, into the fold and see what it is, then so be it. 
So be it. All right. In just a minute, we have a multiple choice quiz. However, there are oh, only no. two choices. Hugo Award nominee or death metal band. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. You're listening to Nerdette. going through the list of the Hugo Award nominees over uh-huh. history and we were like man a lot of these sound like death metal bands <laughs> so so we've, we've got a mix of both and we need you to guess whether the title I give you is the title of a book oh my God. or a death metal band I, I know nothing about death metal so this is going to be interesting Nora are you ready I hope so okay number one dark integers science fiction novel oh yes this was a nominee for Best Novelette in 2008. It's a collection of short stories about math. Good one. Okay. Epic of Unlight. Death Metal Band. Wow, you're good. <laughs> Number three. Okay. Uh-huh. Dream Snake. Oh, science fiction novel. Oh, she's good, man. Oh, no, that's a classic. You can't use that. That's a, yeah, it is a classic, man. This yeah. sounds actually really interesting when I was looking into it. Okay. Number four. Neptune's Brood. Uh-oh. Hmm. I'm going to go with science fiction novel. Science fiction novel. She's really good. That was a good It's about a metahuman in a universe where the last natural humans became extinct 5,000 years ago. Oh, okay. It's from 2014. Oh. Lucifer's Hammer. Science fiction novel. Science fiction. She is so good. I'm so impressed with how well you're doing. It's great. <laughs> okay. Okay. Knights of the Abyss. I'm going to go with Death Metal Man. Oh, my gosh. You got 100%. I've, I've been in the business enough that I know what the marketing people think. And, <laughs> and the death metal band names are not specific enough. <laughs> um, so there's a, there's a pattern to science fiction names. Okay, that's great because round two is actually more specific. So are you ready for this? We just have oh, a couple no. more. It's going to be good. This is the fire round. Uh-oh. Okay. Hellfire. See, that's not... Okay. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I, I, you stumped me. You don't want to guess? Uh, death Metal Band. Death Metal Band. They're out of San Francisco. What? Yes. Okay. All right. High on Fire. <sighs> death Metal Band. Yes. Okay, number three. Fire Time. Death Metal Band. Not a Death Metal Band. No, 1975 nominee. Okay. There's All a dramatic right. increase in heat every thousand years in fire what? time. Oh, interesting. Okay. okay. Fire upon the deep. That's <laughs> science fiction. <laughs> you got to take the classics out of this. Well, you know, we didn't want it to be too difficult. Okay. All right. Last one. Above this fire. Oh, that's so generic. What do I? Do, 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 do. <laughs> Let's go with science fiction novel. Cleveland hardcore band. Oh, all right. But man, that's like two out of mm-hmm. almost 20. Yeah. I think you did great. You win the prize. I'm not sure what the prize is, Nora, but we'll, we'll send shocked. you one. <laughs> All right. Nora Jemison, thank you so much for coming on Nerdette. This was really a pleasure. Thank you. This has been fun. 
All right, your homework for this week is to read everything by N.K. Jemisin. I know maybe that's a little ambitious. You could do what I did and start with the fifth season. This is an excellent series. The first two books are out now. The third one is coming out in August. You will thank me for reading these books. And don't forget, if you have a sci-fi book name you think would be a good metal band, tweet at us at Podcast. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Candice Mattel. Her sci-fi metal band name is Mindbridge. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. He plays drums in the sci-fi metal band Rendezvous with Rama. Who or what is Rama in this scenario? Joel. <laughs> Our intern is Brady Guy. He most recently played screaming leads in the sci-fi metal band The Goblin Reservation. But he was kicked out. Or asked to leave, if you believe the press release. Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. You know what else is super helpful is if you go on the little iTunes and leave us a nice review like Go Kellogg did. Trisha, listen to this. Go Kellogg has been listening to public radio for 40 years and says Nerdette is their first podcast. How cool is that? Oh, I'm so excited. There's so many more. You should hashtag tripod. Yay! You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework! <laughs> Do your homework! My throat hurts. <laughs> yeah, you no know more of this until after the tonsillectomy. <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.